Welcome to the RPGBot.News. With me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Brandon Powell. Good evening. <laughs> also, I'm Randall James. Tyler, what's happening? Today, we want to talk about Morkborg. Uh, we also want to talk about the recent supplement, Morkborg Cult Colon Heretic. <laughs> it's, to be clear, it's, it's not Cult Colon Heretic. It, it, <laughs> it, it's Cult. There is a colon and then heretic. I, I'm sure we'll explain that in a minute. So for also, I'm going to real quick pronunciation guide. So it is spelt M O with the two dots above it. O R K. That's called a diacritic. I, I thought that was an umlaut. Umlaut is specifically the U with a diacritic in ah, German. I'm being more specific than you're ah. in German. Oh, well, okay. then we're done. We're learning things. All right. So M diacritic R K. B-O-R-G. And it's it's not pronounced Morkborg. It's actually pronounced Merkborg, as I learned, like, what, 20 minutes ago? You will most likely search for it on the internet as Morkborg, but it is pronounced Merkborg. So for, and it's Swedish for... It's Swedish for Dark Fort. Dark Fort. Very specifically, not Dark Fortress, which we also learned about 20 minutes ago. So... All kinds of translation things. Great. For folks not familiar with Merkborg, we want to describe Merkborg and what makes it different from our other RPGs that certainly that we have played and that many other people may not have played. Um, it's a very interesting game. It's got a lot of cool stuff in it. If you're completely used to D&D and that's the only thing you've ever played, this is going to feel very different. But it's got a lot of cool stuff, and I think it's worth checking out. Oh, absolutely. So here's the deal. I was super jones to read some of this content from the back cover, uh, having just heard Random's voice. Random, I, I would like it if you read this thing from the back cover, because it's awesome. A doom metal album of a game. A spiked flail to the face. Rules light, heavy everything else. One day all will blacken and burn just as the two-headed basilisks have predicted. The world is dying. Time is short. How will you face these last days? Robbing graves for soil-stained wealth? Or facing down the apocalypse, hoping it can be fought? The game can be super dark. It absolutely won't be suitable for all folks, however. Creators take care to be inclusive. <laughs> I, I think we added that part. I don't care. <laughs> no. Okay. So, so right. You, you heard that awesome rendition. Thank you, random. We're all better for having heard it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the game can be super dark. It can be super punishing quite literally. And even like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the content, a lot of what we're actually going to talk about in this episode some of the stuff could be disturbing. Some of the stuff would be things that just bluntly aren't for everyone, right? A lot of death and decay, a lot of depression. Like, it is a hopeless world. That is the game you're playing, and there's no getting away from that. So if you're a person who says, like, ah, that's not for me, this game is not for you. What I was really impressed by uh, when you look through their licensing. So one, we talked about Merkborg Cult. Uh, Merkborg Cult. Merkborg Cult is the publishing program for third-party content. Basically, if you want to write content, you can submit it, and certain content is actually selected by the author's group. They'll go through and they'll do the editing, they'll do the layout, they'll do the art for it. They'll turn your idea for content into a free module available on the website for other folks to go and grab, 
And occasionally they do these Kickstarters where they say, okay, we've got a lot of great stuff. We're going to tie it together and we're going to release a a new product. We're going to put out a physical book with content created from the community program. And I thought that was awesome. Like to me, that's, that's amazing. So this is the second one they've done, Merkberg Cult Heretic. And when you look at the licensing, this is the thing I kind of wanted to get to. They actually have this statement. Remember, make it dark, depressing, weird, and cruel, but let everyone partake in the suffering. Be sure to avoid sexist, racist, homophobic, and transphobic tropes and themes in your content. There's plenty of that crap in the real world already. The world of Merkborg doesn't need it. That's a great note on inclusivity. We've talked about the importance of inclusion in previous episodes. The fact that they've made a world that is as dark and brutal as you can possibly get and not had to resort to capitalizing on real world traumas, real world bigotry, essentially. They haven't had to use any of that stuff. And just that alone as a setting is a fantastic example for other creators out there. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, what I want to say, there's plenty of dark stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. But it isn't necessarily, you know, taking whole groups of people and kind of making it something that folks aren't going to enjoy. So yeah, I think that's pretty cool. So I think what makes sense, let's talk a little bit about like the world of Merkborg in general, and then maybe we can step in and we'll talk a little bit more about Heretic. Her- Heretic. I said it yeah, right this time. You did it. Okay. And actually, while we're talking about language for a second, uh, I apologize. It's a diaresis, not a diacritic. All of them are diacritics, the accents, the circumflexes, diaresis. Anyway. Uh, folks at home, we're going to have a link in the show notes. Don't worry. <laughs> I bet people didn't expect a linguistics lesson from this one. Yeah, it's happening. It's going to happen. Cool. So it was a little bit alluded to in the reading that Random gave us a bit ago. The the world of Merkborg, there are, and this is confusing until you read it in writing, but come with me for a moment. There are two basilisks. Each of the two basilisks have two heads with their own personalities. Pop quiz, Random, how many heads? Uh, we have four head basilisks. Four heads on two basilisks. You got it. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. One of them basically gave a prophecy that predicted a whole bunch of terrible things that would happen, including the sun would stop rising. And at this point, the sun has already stopped rising. And the culmination of these prophecies is the end of the world. Uh, these folks were building a temple, a church, a cathedral, and they found these prophecies and are like, whoa. This one basilisk egg, not the whole basilisk, wicked smart, we should build a church around him. So there's all kinds of jealousy for the other basilisk head. The basilisk head, this one in particular, so Verhu, is the one who told the prophecy, uh, got all these things written down and such, which were eventually discovered. So now everybody's worshiping him. You know, there are cults of worship around this. The rumor is that Necrobel, ancient god of like misery and agony, like literally is, is misery and agony manifest as a god, is the one who told him all these things. And so in general, most folks accept that, the, you know, in, in parts of the world, the church dominates everything. Uh, if you say anything that opposed the basilisk, like folks will literally hunt you and do very bad things. It's a bad time. Many folks believe that there is a way to stopping what is to come. Is Verhu one of those people? No, he just really likes the gold in the worship. He's super Uh into it. Like, that's very much into it. So so there's a god of misery who maybe told a basilisk, here's all the bad things that are happening, and then the world is going to end. Go tell everybody else. And then everybody else found out, and now they're all miserable because the world is ending. That feels very on brand for a god of misery it's funny you say that it may be 
that the language of the text was very specific. My reading of it, what I took away, it wasn't necessarily that Necrobalt told Verhu, like, go tell these stories so that, you know, all can know and this sort of thing. It could have been a secret. Like, it could have been something he wasn't supposed to do. But then he did it, and now we're here. I feel like at the point where the sun has stopped rising, the vast majority of people are going to be clued in that something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, don't, I don't know. From the way the world is described, it may have not been great to begin with. More of just like, ah, what now? Which Okay, so speaking of what now, one of the coolest mechanics, and I, I really don't think I've ever seen anything like this in any other tabletop that we've looked at or talked about or certainly that I've played, one of the mechanics is you pick a die to roll at the beginning of your campaign. Uh, so you can pick uh, a D2, you can pick a, a D20, a D100, kind of up and down the gambit. At the at each dawn, in a world where the sun doesn't rise, and we're going to skip over that for now. We're not going <laughs> to we're not going to worry about it. But at each dawn, which maybe is every time you wake up after after a long rest, perhaps the GM will roll the decided upon die. And if you roll a one, you read a misery. These miseries are things that torture and change the world forever. So at this point, the world will be just a little bit more broken having rolled it. A good example, so the lake and brook shall blacken and the water become tar. So now the game master gets to interpret that and say, okay, maybe there were rivers. Maybe the rivers are tar now. Maybe everybody's going to be super dehydrated. You know, that's the answer is like now, like water is a scarce resource. And if you don't find water, you're going to die. Civilization is going to collapse even further. That could be your interpretation of it. Or it could be like this particular river is now garbage, but the other rivers are good. So now there's going to be a migration of people. As a GM, you get to work that into your story however you want to. But the punchline is, let's say you picked a D2. You're going to flip a coin every day. If it comes up heads, you read a misery. The world gets worth six time, worse six times. On the seventh, the world ends. The campaign is over. So in theory, you could have a game that starts, runs, and ends in seven days in game. Yes, 100%. Dang. You're right at that apocalypse. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, it's like, ah, world ends next Tuesday. What are we going to do until then, boys? Well, and, and one of the key things of the worship is your goal, like, you, you cannot give in to despondence. Your goal is to be alive and face the end of the world as a living being. I absolutely love that. One, one interesting thing, so you say that that's unlike anything that you've played or talked about, and while that's largely true, there is actually a real parallel to Dot Dungeon, which we talked about back in the adapting media to tabletop RPGs. It is intended to basically be like you as this group are playing this video game uh, which would will make more sense when you read it, like, but as a group over the summer, and so you get this statistic as a party called connection, which is basically like how much you are able to manifest yourself in the game, and it naturally decreases as you go through combat, as you take damage essentially, and you can get some back, but you can never get all of it back as you're losing it. It specifies in the rules when you run out of connection, that's the end of the campaign, and then you basically do a retrospective. If you really like that aspect of it, power on fantasy, dark Swedish settings is not your thing, check out Dungeon. It's great. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. And so, yeah, kind of rolling back to this, like you have the different dice rolls. If you do the D2, obviously, I think you're effectively saying as a group, Let's play a quick campaign. Uh, and, and of course, I think we always say this, if it's fun and you're the GM, maybe sometimes it makes sense to fudge a roll if you're trying to, like, if you want to, you could literally get together for a very long day 
and one shot a campaign naturally. Like it's going to end as it's meant to end. And I think that would probably actually be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd call that a fun day. Okay. How many characters would I go through in that uh, in that amount of time? All of them. Just come with the stack, light the fire as we go. Yeah, no, I think let's talk about violence. Is everybody excited to talk about violence? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So in <laughs> in the Merkborg uh, core rulebook, the combat section is titled as violence, and it rolls through everything. I think there's a few things I want to hit on here that I thought were, again, kind of unique. There aren't a lot of games that I've seen that do this. Some do. Um, so let's hit some of them. Uh, so for one, they do side initiative. That's not crazy. Lots of systems use side initiative. What was interesting to me is you roll your your player characters. Your players, the characters don't roll dice. That'd be weird. <laughs> your players roll dice to attack, melee or ranged. They also roll to dodge from being attacked. So if a character gets hit, it is the player's fault for being bad at rolling dice. <laughs> And, and it's I'm dead. Dice jail being much more used here. Yeah, I'm I'm dead in this game already. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it's interesting to me because your uh, your game masters often, depending on what's happening, might fudge a roll here or there, might fudge a little bit of damage, this sort of thing. But this is a real situation where like you can't do it because that person is going to roll. They're going to show everybody, you know, they're going to show the folks in the rest of the party, and it's like, yeah, you started with two HP and you just took a brick at the face. Good news is. Harry is now dead. Larry is waiting in the other room. Let's welcome him in. <laughs> and we get to try again. So for people coming from like D&D 5th edition or 3rd, 4th, Pathfinder, or any of those games where you generally start with more hit points than that, 2 HP, that's a real thing, yes? Absolutely. So uh, you have four ability scores. One of them is toughness. Your starting HP would be toughness plus a D8. Your toughness modifier to start might be minus two. So you're guaranteed to start with at least one HP. Uh, and I think as a human being, you should not you should not do that to yourself. Uh, but yeah, we did a little bit of playtesting in the random character that Tyler rolled using the really awesome online tools. And we'll have links in the show notes to that too. In the random character that Tyler rolled, he came in with two HP. Yeah, that wasn't great. <laughs> in the, the very first round of combat, I wasn't even paying attention to that. I just said, yeah, sure, this, this creature is going to attack random's character dealt three damage to random and Tyler's like, Oh, actually dealt three damage and you had armor. So it actually would have been five damage to Tyler in which case, and you know, towards violence and towards a brutality, you have two HP, you take five damage. Your character is dead. If you go negative in HP in this game, dead. If you go to exactly zero, one out of four times dead. <laughs> the other three things are also terrible. <laughs> So just for, just for a sense of scale, you start with D8 plus toughness hit points. Toughness can be negative at first level. How much damage does, like, a sword? Somebody stabs me with a short sword. How much damage does that do? Uh, a short sword? Okay, so good podcasting. I had to actually find the graphic of a, a humanoid. I'm going to say humanoid. In the Mertborg sourcebook, with all of the weapons you might use to fight somebody, just piercing the person and then their damage dice are labeled by it so that's the graphic you have to find it's like okay well that's a staff upside his head that's not oh, okay the short sword is going straight in his face and it's d4 it's a d4 damage dice uh excuse you i think you mean a shirt sword <laughs> shirt sword so i might start with two hit points a short sword does a d4 damage so on average i am dead if i'm hit once 
Correct. Cool. Now, the good news is you could get yourself some light armor as long as you don't intend to use powers. Okay. So so kind of like old editions of D&D where like if, if you were wearing armor, you couldn't cast spells. Yeah, if you're wearing medium or heavy armor, uh, that's actually one of the cool things that came out in uh, Heretic, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, maybe makes this a little bit softer, and I actually thought that was a really cool thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad this is coming up. Absolutely. So I, we can't cover everything. I want to talk about a few more things that I thought were really cool here. One of them, again, I had never seen this, an idea of morale. Uh, so for longtime listeners of the show will remember we had uh, Keith Amon on to talk about, you know, the monsters know what they're doing, the monsters still know what they're doing, the players are idiots. That's not what the book was called. What was it called? <laughs> that more the monsters know what they're doing and then surviving to tell the tale. Perfect. Okay. One of the things that he talks about in his books, he talks about in his blog, and he talked to us about is intelligent creatures want to preserve their own life right? Stupid creatures will like march in and they'll die immediately. And that's, that's reasonable. But if an intelligent creature has the ability to run and they realize they're outmatched, they're going to get out of there. Okay. So this is actually, you know, it's a rules light system, but it is actually codified in this system. A lot of creatures have an idea of morale and there's different triggers where the GM should make a morale roll. So let's say it's a group of enemies fighting and over half the enemies have been killed. The rest of them should make a morale roll to surrender, run away, or keep fighting. If a single creature has a third of its HP left, again, you know, same game, roll the die and let's see, do they run away? Do they surrender? Do they flee? With that, the book has built into it a cost for a lot of creatures. If you kill a wraith, you might take the corpse of a wraith, which I actually don't know what that looks like. That's interesting. Salt? Who knows? (laughs) Uh, You can bring that and you can sell it for a little bit of silver. Or if it surrenders, you can actually bring the living wraith and be like, here, you deal with this. And somebody will give you more money to leave them a a live wraith than they will a dead wraith, which is basically it's an opposite Scooby-Doo, if you think about it. (laughs) Here, let me sell you this problem. Exactly. 100%. (laughs) Uh, The the one that really got me was there was a, there's a, in in the core rule book, there's a wyvern. Big, big snake monster. Big snake monster. Super challenging. It has a surrender. So I'm imagining you with a leash on your giant pet snake leading it to town like i'm gonna make a lot of money (laughs) everybody just clearing out of the way it's like this person is insane (laughs) but yeah so you can make money like there's actually a motivation to not always kill everything you fight just because it's bleak and dark you don't have to go straight murder hobo and the motivation is money wait i'm I'm sorry so are we saying that the motivation to not murder hobo is instead selling creatures yeah hmm. Hmm. i mean it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, okay. that feels even more murder hobo <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i mean the, the saving grace here is like most of the creatures uh, I'm, I'm suddenly imagining the like the scale of like pets to food that you occasionally see yeah it's, it's a pita billboard yeah 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 <laughs> so most of like you uh warburn is a pet you could probably give it a great life like feed it chickens i bet there's chickens in this world Probably skeletal chickens. They poison you unless you're a snake monster. <laughs> but the point being, I thought that was a cool mechanic. The idea of like, no kidding. These are the rules for when you should as, you know, have an enemy surrender and give in. One more thing that I want to talk about in the base rules, because this blew my mind, the getting better section. I finally noticed today as I read it, as I, as I was rereading it, in tiny little words next to it, it says, or worse. Getting better or worse. It isn't leveling up. It's not advancing. It's good luck with this. So the way that it works, 
you get more HP when, you know, you're, something happens, let's say you find a lot of treasure, you kill a monster, you close an arc, you do something cool in the story. The GM says, everybody, let's get better. Or worse, <laughs> you get more HP. Uh, so roll 60-10. If the result is equal or greater than your current max HP, you get to add a D6. Else nothing happens. So early in the game, you're almost certainly, like, you'd have to be very unlucky to not be adding HP. And I think that would go for quite a while until you hit some staple, like maybe 20 or 30, and then expectation values being what they are, sometimes you're not going to get to add that D6. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds like that you max out somewhere in the mid-60s. Yeah, I think, I mean, with perfect rolls, right, you could roll a 60 if you had 59 health and then get to add a D6. So that would put you at 65 tops. Yeah, okay, that... That yeah, feels not, like a decently huge amount of hit points in this game <laughs> compared 100%. to two. Now, I mean, you, you earn hit points back. Like, resting doesn't give it back to you efficiently. I think it's more, it's closer to what you folks have talked about in, like, the three or three, five days as far as regaining hit points. It's it's certainly not a magic wand. I think. <laughs> okay, so, so gritty realism. Gritty realism if gritty realism had a gritty realism variant. Yeah, it, it's the gritty realism that gritty realism people are afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, in fact, so you can take what we would think of as like a short rest. You know, they say catch your breath, have a drink. You can restore a D4 of uh, HP. A full night's sleep only restores D6 HP. Oh, so it, that's yeah. not a lot. So like if you're up at that like 60 whatever maximum, you're going to take like you're going to take until the world ends to recover if you're playing quite, a short game. Quite, quite potentially. And and there are other items, there are powers that can help gain your HP back more quickly, but then those come with risk. Uh, it, it literally, you could wind up worse off for having used them. Oh, great. Sometimes the result, death. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, here, yeah. Here's a Band-Aid, one in ten chance it'll just kill you. Using powers in general, if you fumble, if you roll a natural one, there's a, a catastrophe table that you roll on, and one of those catastrophes is uh, one of the basilisks just shows up and eats you. I can think of worse ways to go out. I guess. Uh, I mean, it's up there. It's it's it. You have to think that that's up there, right? Well, I mean, yeah. if we think about the theme of this game, though, if that's the way you die, that's pretty freaking metal. hundred <laughs> percent. I would consider that a successful character. Yeah, I, I would almost say you almost won, right? Realistically, <laughs> I tried to cast magic, got eaten by a god. It's a good day. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was so bad at this that personally showed up. One more thing I want to talk about for getting better or worse. And this is the or worse part because we haven't actually had an or worse. Everything I've said so far has been fantastic. For every ability score of which you have four, roll a d6. If what you roll is better than your current value, then you can increase that score up to a maximum of six. Increase it by one. By one. That's right. 100%. Thank you. That's important. So yeah, if you were at four, you can go to five. If you're at five, you can go to six. But if you roll a four when you're at five, you get nothing. A negative score always increases, which makes sense, right? If I roll a two and I'm at negative two, I'd go up all the way to one. Even a one will always increase to two. So that's cool. Except if you roll a one, the score goes down one no matter what. You're at minus two, you roll a one, back to minus three, with minus three being the bottom. Got it. So, so if your luck is terrible you're going to fall to negatives. If your luck is really good, you'll go up for a little while, but you'll probably get stuck kind of at a middle somewhere, just like I, I plus would imagine two, plus you three, get, probably. 
I, I imagine even like four might be lots of things bouncing around three and four feels about right to me. I think that's how the math would work. Although, yeah, that minus one might actually kill it to the point where maybe it is closer to two to three. Yeah. Hmm. We joked about this offline, but I can imagine a situation where like the GM is like, hey, everybody, let's get better or worse. And everybody at the table is like, um, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. So Merkborg, right? I, I, we've laid out a few things. I hope that these things are intriguing and are exciting. And you're looking at that thinking like, okay, that would be kind of cool to go experiment with. At the very least, you could do a long session of this and probably have a good time and then figure out, yeah, do you love it? Do you want to keep going? Uh, so we talked about Merkborg Cold, the community program for publishing. A lot of this content is actually available on the Merkborg website. You can just go view it. You can peruse it, download PDFs, look at the art. I mean, it's awesome. So you could literally go take a look at these things. If you want to get the zine, if you want to publish the actual product they put together on Kickstarter, we will eventually... Right, does that work? Can we eventually have links in the show notes? How does that work? No, we'll, we'll have links in the show notes, but... Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. We have it. Okay, good. We do have a link yeah. to sell it. Yeah. So we'll have a link in the show notes, so you'll be able to go find it on... Yeah, with, with the Merkborg shop. So go take a look. I want to talk about a few things in here that I thought were really cool. We didn't go into much detail on it previously. Merkborg does have the idea of optional classes. It can be a class classless system, and I would I would I would argue that the base system is classless. You're classless. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's fair. Uh, the uh, in in Heretic, they introduce the unheroic feats, which are an optional set of feats that they say you should only use if you're not leveraging the optional classes. You can have up to three of these feats at a time. And you can choose to take these feats, uh, you know, it's up to your GM whether you take them randomly, whether you get to pick what you're taking, and under what circumstances do you get to add a feat to your character. But some of these are really cool. So I actually wanted to read a couple of them just to give folks like an idea of like, okay, what can I get? Um, first of all, we hinted at it earlier, so I want to call it out. One of the feats you can take lets you use powers while wearing medium armor or using a two-handed weapon. Now, what's the benefit of wearing armor so like we have an idea of how good that is gotcha uh light armor you get to roll a d2 and subtract that from damage you take medium armor roll a d4 subtract it from damage you take heavy armor roll a d6 and, and subtract it from damage you take okay so if if like a short sword is dealing d4 damage medium or heavy armor will frequently just negate that damage so yeah okay that's pretty good yeah, it's awesome yeah even even if they hit which they were right same game as always, they have to hit first. Uh, you have to roll well enough to not let them hit. <laughs> then you could actually negate damage with, with that heavy armor. So yeah, one of these feats allows you take it once. Now you, with medium armor, you can use powers. I think I said a second ago, two-handed swords. No, you can never use two-handed swords and use powers. You have to be able to hold the scroll. I think that's the rule. And then you could take the feat a second time, and then you could actually wear heavy armor and use power. So if you wanted to be kind of a, a tanky mage you could build that character type using these feats. Uh, some of the other ones that I thought were fun and I wanted to read aloud. So Shield Breaker, you know that the moment an opponent is at their most vulnerable is right after they've attacked. Whenever you use your shield to block all incoming damage, you may attempt a counter-strike with plus three damage. Oh, that's a lot of damage in this game. Yeah. Negotiator, this one was fun to me, like even from a role-playing standpoint. You abhor conflict. A pacifist by nature, sometimes it's best to try de-escalating the situation. Some call you a coward. Test presence, DR6 plus opponent's highest morale. Success means the fighting stops. For now. So as a feat, you could literally, in the middle of, of conflict, roll. Like you could use your action every turn to be like, no, 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 wait, guys, what if we didn't fight? Roll <laughs> dice, succeed, and you could actually stop the fight in the middle of it. Okay. 
that's pretty cool. And I could see that resulting in the, in the GM just like throwing you off a cliff. But okay, yeah. Well, it, it, I think it, you know, social fixes, right? It would depend on what kind of game you're you're trying to play. If people wanted to lean into it, the other thing it says, though, it right, it gives the for now clause, right? So now it's up to the GM as an interpreter. They could say like, okay, the next time they think they can get the jump, they're just going to attack you again, and they're going to call you a coward. You know, who knows how this goes? So how many of these feats can you get? Because like I I briefly glanced at one of the classes, and it seems like you get like one random feature from your class but you mentioned that you could take the same feat twice to wear heavy armor and use power so like how many of the feats can you get you can only take three. Oh, okay and do you get like three right at start no okay so that's a great question so the way that they're pitching you should use this is at like an a a getting better phase or when you have some other major achievement, maybe it's a narrative achievement. Like you, you could imagine a GM, let's say you had to go into town and do some negotiating. You might actually gain the negotiation, the negotiator feat. That could be something the GM just gives you. Got it. Um, alternatively, like you could go in and in a situation where you could have negotiated, you just, you kill everyone. You go full murder hobo. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, great. Roll a random feat and you get negotiator and everybody just sits at the table looking around like what? What has happened? <laughs> well, so one of the fun things that I want to talk about, because it, it really feels to me like a a piece of something that has come out of parts of D&D 3.0, I understand that there's uh, curses in in some of the expansion. Um, and, and some of these feel very much like, like if you if you happen to play a uh, Wu-Gen in 3.x, um, or if you played with any of the Vows, some of these feel very much like that sort of weird level of roleplay prohibition. No, absolutely. So the, the curses table, I think, is fantastic. Uh, so essentially, you roll for the curse. You roll for who knows how to remove the curse. You roll for what is the price that that person wants for the knowledge. And then finally, you roll for... How do you actually get rid of the curse? Who are the people who might know how to remove these curses? Like, does it give you specific people or is it like generic NPCs? I would argue these are generic NPCs, not to say that none of these characters appear in other content anywhere. Okay. uh, Because I'm actually not sure about this. Um, But let me give an example. Okay. Let's have some fun with it. Okay. Wherever you go, the ghost of your past friends, parents, and mentors follow. They won't shut up about how much of a disappointment and failure you are. I mean, that feels like a personal attack. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a curse. <laughs> For some people it's the waking nightmare, but that's a we're going to we're going to walk away from that very quickly. Uh, so then you roll okay, well who knows how to get rid of this? You if you rolled a 1, you would have Kettle Erg, an eyeless hermit who once lifted a curse, they say. So first you would have to journey, you would have to find Kettle Erg. Once you find Kettle Erg, you're like, "Hey, my parents won't get off my back, and they're dead. Really creepy. Could you help me out with this? And he said, like, oh, I'd be willing to do that, but I need a week of hard work. Help me plant my vegetables. So then you'd have to quest for the vegetables, but <laughs> you need to water the vegetables. And the problem is that earlier when you woke up, all the water in the world turned to tar. <laughs> so you need to go quest for the one pot of water to bring it back to water the vegetables to feed the hermit that you come back it's like that took two weeks that was that was two weeks of hard work i only i want two curses now two curses <laughs> and he says no you get one so then he says okay here's the deal the secret for getting rid of this let me roll right quick you have to for three nights 
You must share the bed with an undead. You cannot touch. <laughs> I have so many questions. That's a lot it's of there. keyboard. It's, it's there. No, I, I see it. It's there. So now imagine on the third day, the which, okay, like, uh, Mikhail. Mikhail counts as an undead. So like, hey, buddy, come on. Let's just, but don't. On the third day, he reaches over and it's like, hey, buddy, and he touches you. He's like, we got to start again. You're like, no. <laughs> um, I loved the curses table because in my mind, the curses table would be fantastic for like, I need an arc. I need something for us to go do. Boom. We need to lift this curse. And it could be a regular way. Like if you're trying to bridge the story from point A to point B, even if you want to add your own curses or add your own NPCs for folks to go talk about, I'm just like, yeah, sure. I rolled a D10. You got the person I wanted you to talk about. It's great. As a GM, you're allowed to lie. I really think this could be a fantastic way of building and bridging your story. There are a couple other curses that I want to read aloud because I think they're a lot of fun. You cannot walk past mud or filth without rolling in it like a swine. Washing hurts. Wow. That boy, that is something. Yeah. Like, but then imagine like you got to go to town and people are like, ah, get out of here. You smell bad. You and you're like, oh, look, a sty. <laughs> like I am obligated. I have to go do this. You know, imagine if the hermit had a sty. You just spend the entire time like, please help me. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, uh, you can't see the fantastic uh, <laughs> physical comedy that went on with that. Just imagine. <laughs> it was great. All right, I mean, it was fine. Anyway, another one. Very simple. You cannot lie. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you run into a character, or you run into uh, an NPC, but a sentient NPC, and they're like, are you planning on killing me? And you're just, yeah. <laughs> Did you steal this? Yes. Um, do, do, you, do you have food? Yeah, I do. Okay. Anyway, curses. Real cool stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, in general, uh, Merkberg cult uh, heretic. Uh, we're going to have an article on the site. There's also a new article talking about kind of Merkborg in general. So go take a look at those. We'll have links into uh, links to them in the show notes. Merkborg, really, really awesome. Merkberg cult heretic, really awesome supplement. And 100%, if you like this content, absolutely go support it. Uh, you know, get a copy for yourself. It's going to look great sitting on the bookshelf. And when you pull it out to actually play with folks, um, we'll also have links in the show notes so you can find the Merkberg cult content online on the Merkberg website. Cause even beyond what's in Heretic, there's a lot of really cool content out there. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. We didn't talk about how cool cults are. I know. Book, book. <laughs>